I'm going to start today a little differently. Uh, let's put this verse up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Let's just put this up, or go to the next slide. The message is Grace for Gibeonites, part 2. It's following up on last week's message about the Gibeonites, and this is the passage. I'm going to start off my introduction by reading this. We are pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So does it ever seem like every element of our modern day culture seems to work together to form an alliance that opposes what God is trying to do in the hearts of his people in his church? It never really works with us, does it? I mean, the world's view of Christianity, quite frankly, ranges from skepticism to disdain, from mild annoyance to full-scale hate and resentment. And its opposition to the gospel ranges from rude dismissal to coming after it with an evil alliance of vitriolic opposition. This is true in all political parties, left or right, It's true in every nation. It's true in entertainment. It's true in pop culture. None of it is designed to be friendly to the gospel message. I know I have felt this way. Now, now true followers of Jesus, in the face of these evil alliances, true follower of Jesus, we will never give up, but we can sure feel like quitting. Does that make sense? There's a difference, right? Feeling like quitting and actually quitting are different. So the question becomes then, how are we supposed to carry on? What should we do when it feels like an evil alliance is constantly swarming around us? How do we respond when the growing threat of evil and injustice around us is so great that there seems like there's nothing that could stop it? See, I believe this is exactly how the Gibeonites felt shortly after they had aligned themselves with God's people, as we saw described in Joshua chapters 9 and 10. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read Joshua chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Let's look at the passage. When Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai, doing its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, And how the inhabitants of Gibeon made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like a royal city greater than I. And all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Horam, king of Hebron, and Piram, king of Jarmuth, and Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debur, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me, help me strike Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites and the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, gathered their forces and went up all their armies and encamped against or around Gibeon to prepare and make war against it. The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come quickly, save us, help us, for all the kings of the Amorites are gathered against us. So Joshua and all the people of war went up from Gilgal. The Lord said to Joshua, 
Do not fear them. I have given them into your hands. Not one man shall stand before you. So Joshua, marching all night from Gilgal, came upon them suddenly. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them down the hill at Beth Horon, chasing them as far as Azekai and Makedah. I don't know if I even said these right, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I'm just going through it. <laughs> as they fled before Israel down the hill of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. More died from hailstones than Israel killed with the sword. There Joshua spoke to the Lord that day and said in the sight of Israel, Sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Joshua? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. I want you to see what's forming here is an evil coalition. See this map? I'm, I'm going to use this map a few times throughout the message. I want you to see what's going on here. You see how Gibeon is encamped. The, the red lines show that the, these kings, these, these Amorite kings, and how they had gotten into alliance, and they came around and surrounded Gibeon. Gibeon was one of the most powerful cities in the region with very strong military capacities. And with the Israelite threat building, those five kings that we listed formed a very powerful alliance. They were counting on Gibeon to be the sixth. That's why the news of Gibeon's treaty with Joshua and with Israel was so troubling and maddening for these other kings in the region. They saw the Gibeonite covenant with Israel as deep betrayal. They were angry. They want retribution. They want to send a message by King Adonai of what would later be called the city of Jerusalem. He was the king in that region at that time. So fueled by their fear and their rage at the Gibeonites for joining Israel, they surround the city and their intention is to destroy and kill everyone. Now, the Gibeonites know they do have a powerful army, but they know they have no chance against this massive evil alliance. Without help, they know they will be utterly destroyed by this evil. So they send word to Joshua, asking Israel to come and rescue them. This is a huge ask, you understand. It is so tense because, humanly speaking, Israel itself doesn't even have the force large enough to fight this alliance. But God assures Joshua he will fight for Israel and for Gibeon. So Joshua marches his entire army through the night to Gibeon. And from the moment they arrive, God is active in this fight, just as he promised. In dramatic fashion, in the nick of time, you can imagine what's happening is as Israel descends from the hilltops because Gibeon was a place that was lower in a valley as you go toward the coast. They were at Mount Gilgal. Remember, that's where the worship was. They come over the hill into the valley and to descend just in time. And there God is to rescue Gibeon from evil. See, the alliance never expected Joshua to arrive so swiftly navigating rivers and hills in the dead of night. They are totally caught off guard. 
And God uses this surprise arrival of Israel's forces to cause panic and confusion and disorganization among the alliance. I imagine they were fighting with one another. What are we supposed to do? Let's go here. No, let's go there. Let's run. No, let's fight. And as this evil alliance hears and sees Israel coming, they're filled with fear. They are defeated before the fight even begins. And they are routed on the outskirts of Gibeon. They never even get inside the city. This is all happening outside. They're routed. And they flee down the hillsides toward the coast with Israel in hot pursuit. So they go this way. And as they retreat in fear, God sends a deadly hailstorm, killing more of the enemy than Israel's fighting men did. And this vaunted evil alliance is in complete disarray. They're retreating. They're being slaughtered on the ground by the Israelites and slaughtered from the sky by God. And as the day fades, Joshua realizes he does not have enough time left before nightfall to finish off the enemy. He doesn't want nightfall to provide them cover to either regroup or retreat and get away. So he asks God for extra time to finish the battle. And God provides this extended daylight in the valley where the battle is. This is another public display of God's power of bringing creation into subjection to his plan for those who worship him. Whether or not he had the sun actually stand still or that's allegorical, I don't know. What I can tell you is there was a lot of light. It's the same vein as we see with the story of the Red Sea when they were fleeing from Egypt. The Jordan River, when he parted that raging river for them to cross into it. We see the same thing with Jesus when he turned water into wine. And most of all, it's the same vein as we see when Jesus conquers death at the resurrection. It's yet another story that will spread amongst all the rest of the land about how the God of Israel is the one true God and he is with his people. That's the history It's a pretty cool story. Look at the spiritual or theological. What about God? What is he doing here? I want to call this section Gibeonite Armageddon. This scene is like Armageddon for the Gibeonites, right? They're facing this evil alliance that despises them for the choice they have made to worship Israel's God. They're facing an alliance that despises them, humanly speaking, for what they have done. And they know they cannot beat this alliance on their own. Put yourself in the place of the Gibeonites. They just recently joined Joshua in Israel, maybe a few weeks ago. And it was through, if you remember, through their deception, less than ideal means. They're still kind of like strangers to Joshua in Israel, right? They don't know them. They probably barely know the leaders' names. Or to even pronounce them. That's why I struggled with the names. It's hard to say. And they asked Joshua to rescue them from this gathering evil. Their only hope, Gibeon, is that God shows up just in time to defeat the evil alliance and rescue Gibeon. And that's exactly what God did. Humanly speaking, Joshua is also risking his entire army against a superior force for people he barely knows. It's crazy. It makes no sense. But God tells Joshua, don't be afraid. Because I'm going to fight for Israel and Gibeon, and the evil enemy will be crushed. God directly fights for Israel and Gibeon, causing them confusion, sending hailstones, extending the daylight hours, all of that. This whole story 
It's part two of these two sermons that I've preached the last two weeks of this display of God's grace and also God's commitment to his people. Verse 14, if you remember, it says, there has, there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. This battle is different from all other battles in the scripture. God's hand directly participates in this battle in ways we've never seen before or since. However, here's what I can promise you. There is a future battle to take place where this kind of intervention on this scale will happen again. The battle for Gibeon, I want you to see this now. This is kind of for you Bible geeks. You're going to love this. This battle for Gibeon directly, theologically, foreshadows in undeniable ways another future battle, battle that we have studied already in our series on Revelation. First, I want you to see, first of all, the real power behind this evil alliance of the five kings. It's not the former king of what is now called Jerusalem. It's Satan. See, he hates Satan. He hates how the Gibeonites received grace they did not deserve. And through his demonic influence, he fills these kings with the hate and resentment, and he gathers them against the Gibeonites to do his bidding. What Satan wants... He's the one who wants to destroy the Gibeonites after God has already gathered them to himself. That's why this is an evil alliance. This is how Satan has been using every, yes, every, including ours, no matter who is president. This is how Satan has been using every earthly government throughout human history, even now in the church age. Don't kid yourself. Revelation chapter 16, look at this, verses 13 and 14. This is Revelation. See if you can see the similarities. I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, demonic spirits performing signs, going abroad to the kings of the world, assembling them for battle on the great day of the God Almighty. They assembled them at the place called Armageddon. Do you see the similarities? Throughout church history, Satan has been building at different times evil alliances made of different kings and different forces against the church of Jesus, just as he did against the Gibeonites. But through Jesus, God has been calling, leading his chosen, adopting us into his covenant, and Satan hates you and us for it. Just as he hated the Gibeonites for receiving grace, he hates the stories of redemption we have in our church. That's why he comes against you so often. The lead up to this battle also features an evil alliance, as you see, inspired by rage and and formed against all of God's redeemed. From a human perspective, this alliance is also insurmountable. But thankfully, us humans won't be fighting that battle. For we know that these kind of battles are not against flesh and blood, right? It's a battle against spiritual forces. Revelation 19, 13 through 15. This is the Jesus who fights for us on that day. He is clothed in a robe stained with blood. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will tread the winepress of the wrath of God. You think the Gibeonite battle was bloody. Just as God did at Gibeon, 
He will allow Satan in that final battle to gather as many governments and kings and all the evil together as a weapon that he might want to. And yes, he's going to allow them to, to gather against us. Here's the thing. They will fail. Just as God did at Gibeon, our Jesus will lead the battle over Satan's evil alliance. They do not have a chance against us. Jesus will come leading us and he will be the one to face that alliance and strike it down just as he did here at Gibeon. And just as God did at Gibeon, our Jesus will destroy that evil alliance. And the scripture says his white robe would be splattered with their blood. It's a, it's a metaphor, an explanation of just how thorough the victory will be. And just as at Gibeon, how the sun did not set until God's judgment was complete, the same is true with the day of the Lord. That will be Satan's longest day. No matter how powerful the alliance is that he forms against us on that day, he and his evil alliance will fail. Both battles, the one in Joshua and the one in Revelation, you know what they do? They actually start to teach us how we should actually process and see the world around us as nations form alliances throughout the history of the world. So that's the theology. Do you see the connection between Armageddon and the battle for Gibeon? Let's look at the personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this? This was the sermon preview this week. Evil alliances are gathering against God's people, but don't be afraid. Jesus will fight for us. Let's bring this next slide up. All right. I'm going to keep this up here for a little bit. I want you to continue to see how Gibeon was surrounded. I want that visual to really sink into your head. 2 Corinthians 4.8, we are pressed on all sides, but not crushed. Do you think the Gibeonites would have been able to relate to what Paul would write almost 1,300 years later about being pressed on all sides? You think they could have? Wow, that's a good verse, Paul. We should memorize that one. <laughs> you think they felt like this as the evil alliance moved against them and God? And then God came with his people and fought for them. You think they felt like we are pressed, but we're not crushed. How do you think the Gibeonites felt about God the day after the battle of Gibeon? Blessed? How about unworthy? Loved? You think that day that after they were pressed on all sides and then God comes in and swoops in and destroys the enemy. You think that day they personally learned how God never leaves or forsakes those who call upon his name? What do you think the Gibeonite worship service that next morning would have been like? I bet it was, as the young people day, say today, lit. <laughs> right? Did I use that properly? I don't know. Okay. I never know. Even though... We came to him in the wrong way. Even as new as we are, God still fights for us and saves us from evil. That's probably what the Gibeonites said. <laughs> We're brand new here. We did it all the wrong ways. Yet God still fights for us. Guys, we were afraid and we did all this deception to get the Israelites to give a treaty. We had nothing to fear all along. 
God always planned for us to be with his people, and even these silly, evil kings couldn't stop it. Because God didn't just save us because we deserve it. He saved us for his glory and his purpose and his great name. Do you think that day inspired them? Remember I told you how they took on a new name after a while? They, they, they were called the dedicated ones, dedicated to serving the temple. Do you think that this day had anything to do with the inspiration to become dedicated ones who would be willing to relentlessly, faithfully serve God's temple for generations? I bet it was very formative, don't you think? Romans 8.31 what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Can you see how, can you see how there is so much for us as former filthy Gibeonites that we can relate to with how God dealt with them? Can you see how we, the church, are actually represented by both Israel and the Gibeonites in this story? Can you see that? Can you see how this story is directly connected to how John describes our future final battle with evil in Revelation will be? The grace and love God provided the Gibeonites is the same grace and love Jesus provides daily for his church as evil gathers around it. And we were all once Gibeonites. We talked about that last week. All all of us were once Gibeonites who desperately called out to God to rescue us from the evil in this world. And right now, God is hearing those calls. And you know what he's doing with it? He's building his own holy nation as he calls out his chosen from every other earthly tribe and every people. If you will, it becomes a holy alliance. That holy nation, God's kingdom, his church becomes that holy alliance. And what do we do with it? We carry the gospel regardless of any evil alliances that are formed against us. And as the Gibeonites place their hope in God's protection, we too hope in the promise that Jesus will fight for us on that final day when we are pressed on all sides and surrounded by evil. John 15, 19. Because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. This is why they form alliances. Satan hates how God has rescued you from evil. He hates how God uses us to rescue others who call upon him from evil. He can't stand it. He hates when we celebrate Redemption stories through baptism here. So evil, motivated by that hate, will always try to gather around these stories of redemption like bugs drawn to light on a hot summer night in Sarasota. You ever been outside around the light in Sarasota in the summer? Do you like it? Do you ever feel pressed on all sides when that happens? <laughs> You know what they're doing when they gather around these stories of redemption? They're just hoping that they can rewrite the endings to those stories and turn them into failures, but they will not. 
Satan will weaponize every government, every religion, every philosophy, and every economic system, yes, even the one you think is the best one, into his evil alliance. Have you ever seen, question for you, have you ever seen a group of nations come together in alliance for the sake of the gospel? Listen, there's a news, right? You know, Germany and France and America and Cuba, they're all coming together to proclaim the gospel. Of course not. You know why? Because every earthly alliance, good or bad, listen to me, every earthly alliance, good or bad, are for one reason, for earthly purposes, not heavenly eternal ones. There's only one nation that's committed to the eternal gospel, and it's not America. It's the church. No earthly alliance is worthy of our hope. Not NATO, not the United Nations, none of them. Our allegiance is to the Holy Alliance, the kingdom of God, who is calling out people from every tribe and every nation into one family. That is our allegiance before anything and anyone else. And just as God empowered Joshua's army to provide grace for the Gibeonites, we are God's army of grace sent to those who by faith are calling upon the name of the Lord for hope and for rescue from this world's evil alliances that form around them. And as God answers their call by sending us to them, do you see that? Go into all the nations. As God answers their call by sending us to them, he arms us for battle, not with a sword, but with that same gospel. And each time we come armed with the gospel, God just seems to rescue more and more Gibeonites. <laughs> he rescues them from Satan's evil alliance just as he did us. You know, no wonder that evil is constantly forming alliances against us. Evil hates the work that God has called us to do. The forces of darkness despise this divine calling that God has commissioned us with to undertake with the gospel. I'm going to put the picture back up. It's a great visual to understand spiritually what is happening. See, this is why it can feel, we can feel like the Gibeonites sometimes, pressed on all sides by evil as we try to follow our precious Jesus. But we have an advantage over the Gibeonites. We already know that Jesus has defeated evil at the cross, and that power will be on full display on the day of the Lord. And then one day, we will all follow the Lamb as he makes final work of that and eradicates evil and all of its greatest alliances from this world forever. And until then, as the enemy continues to gather alliances here and gather alliances there, trying to thwart God's plan for our redemption, you know what we're going to do? We will just continue to simply follow the lamb wherever he goes because we know that we are going to win because Jesus fights for us. Dear Jesus, we're so thankful well, first of all, we are intimidated by how evil does gather. There are times, Lord, we do feel pressed on every side, and, but we know that we're not crushed. 
<clears throat> we know that we're, we can be persecuted, but we're not destroyed. It's very evident the enemy can use almost anything on this earth to gather around stories of redemption. He hates them so much. But we're so grateful that his hatred of those stories will end in sour disappointment for him. He cannot rewrite the endings. They are written in the Lamb's book of life. So Lord, as we continue to go into the land with the gospel, proclaiming truth, coming with that powerful weapon of the gospel to rescue other people like the Gibeonites who are calling out for mercy and grace and rescue from evil. As we go into the land with that, Lord, help us to be mindful of the fact there are evil alliances around us, but you are fighting for us. Lord, by your grace, keep us faithful until the day that you return and vanquish every evil alliance forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.